Thanks for joining us for another Family Life Today program brought to you Monday to Friday by Power to Change. I'm sure you'll hear something today that could give you a fresh perspective on your marriage or family situation. Be encouraged as we join Dave and Anne Wilson. All right, so here's the question that all the world wants to know. We've been married 41 years. <laughs> uh-huh. What's the secret to lifelong marriage? Jesus. Of course it's Jesus. And I know it's Jesus. Yeah. And, I, and I wouldn't what underestimate else? that. What is it? Hard work. Hard work? I think. Like we've put a lot of hard work into our marriage and laughter. How and about? laughter. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're say? laughing right now. I mean, I don't know. I, I want to ask Gary Thomas, who's in the studio with us today, because he wrote a book called A Lifelong Love. So there must be some secret that Gary knows. Gary, welcome back to Family Life Today. Thank you. It's always fun to talk with you, too. Yeah, and obviously the subtitle is Discovering How Intimacy with God Breathes Passion into Your Marriage. Mm-hmm. Now, you've written over 20 books. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the classics was Sacred Marriage. It feels like, as I read this, there was some sacred marriage in here. But, you know, as you think about that question, what is the the secret? A lifelong love really focuses on how, just what it says, that intimacy with God is what breathes passion into our marriage. So I would answer your question by saying the magnificent obsession. By that, I mean Matthew 6.33. And I'm stealing the phrase from a guy who's been dead 400 years ago, so he can't. (laughs) He's referring to Matthew 6.33 when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Mm -hmm. then there's this promise and all these things will be added unto you as well. There are two things I found that really breathe new intimacy and passion into a lifelong marriage. The first one is purpose. Because we weren't made just to be married. We were made for a mission. And that mission is the kingdom of God. I think the question a lot of couples ask is, okay, so what does that really look like? How would you define intimacy with God in a marriage? Two things. First is mission and purpose. Seeking first the kingdom of God means, number one, I don't wake up thinking about my own agenda. What will make me comfortable? What will make me happy? What will make me rich? What will make me feel important? It's my life is yours. Mm. You've given me your spirit. You've given me the promise of eternity. I have fellowship with you. What can I do to build your kingdom on earth? How do I get more people to know about you? How do I get more people to surrender about you? And what that does, Dave, is it draws two people together in a way unlike anything else. I often tell guys, you know, if you want to get your wife to respect you, offer yourself to be used by the Lord because God will honor that. And then he fills you with his spirit and you get credit. When we became empty nesters, Lisa started joining me for a lot of my premarital sessions, and I'd been doing these for a while. And we met with this couple for the first time. And you know how sometimes, man, God is just moving. You're meeting mm. with a couple, and you know it's all God. I mean, it's just, I was getting connections, and I got her background, I got his background, what they needed to work on. We walk away, and Lisa was like, wow, you're really good at this. <laughs> And I'm not. I mean, sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm not even helping a couple at all. It's just one of those times where the spirit was very present, moving mightily. And so I say, just offer yourselves to God. And it gives you new reasons to appreciate each other. You discover new things about each other. And women, if you feel like your husband looks down on you, but when he sees you stepping out in courageous faith and he sees God using you to encourage others or to teach others, to bless others, then he sees a whole new side of you. Mm. That's the best way way to fight off boredom is not to live for yourself. Selfishness is boring. Hmm. 
That's why Hollywood marriages and famous marriages don't make it because you can have all the money in the world. You still get bored with selfishness. The, The most beautiful people in the world that get to spend five hours a day training for the next movie still have their marriages break up because even beauty gets boring. Wealth gets boring because we were made to have eternal purpose. And if we're not living for eternal purposes, there's this natural restlessness in our soul I was made for more than this. The tragic error is that then we said, well, I married the wrong person. Hmm. If I married someone else, then I would have this exciting life or someone who was more fascinating. But the reality is none of us are so fascinating that we can keep somebody enthralled for 50 or 60 (laughs) years. No, I mean, five or six dates. Yeah. (laughs) Five or six years. That's a challenge. 50 or 60, no way. So the first big thing is having a mission, that we were made for a mission. We should be married for a mission. It is totally wrong to think, let's be single for Jesus, but married for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Matthew 6.33 is given to marrieds and singles. I think we should get married if we think that's what helps us serve Jesus more, not to serve Jesus less. Well, Gary, you guys have been married 37 years. Yeah. And so what does that look like practically You know, just how do you live that out, you and Lisa together? What's that looked like over the years? Well, a number of times vocationally, we've made the decision what's best for our gifts in the kingdom of God. And that might be leaving a home that we love or a city we love or a situation we love. Mm. And Lisa has been marvelous at this. She goes, God has this call on our lives. What's the best place for this? She's a Northwest girl. We grew up in the Pacific Northwest. We lived in Bellingham, Washington, which was just like 20 miles below the Canadian border. I could literally do an 18-mile run crossing streets twice, (laughs) just running (laughs) along the bay, going by some water. I mean, it, it was beautiful. And then I got a call from a church in Houston, Texas, which Lisa refers to not also affectionately as Cement City, where it really is cement everywhere, and it's flat, and there are no hills. But she's thinking, Gary, I really think that God can use you here. We want to go. And so that's sort of been her attitude. Now, I've seen it reverse. I've seen husbands do this for their wives. I know one woman had a great ministry, and her husband was what kept it going. He ran her book table. He did all the administration. Sometimes couples work together. There's a story in here of a couple that they'd been married just three or four years, and they just were bored. And and they said, is this all it is? And then they were asked to take charge of a youth group. That was a troublesome view. It drove them to their knees. And I, I love their thing. It says, we had a reason to pray. We, we were praying for our survival. And, and so by focusing on something outside of their marriage, they saw a new side of each other and it drew them together. And I love what she said. When we failed, at least it was our failure. Mm. And when we succeeded, at least it was our success. But this joint ministry really did draw them together and build intimacy in their marriage. That's so interesting because we've talked to so many couples who are empty nesters and their kids are out of the house and now they're looking at each other thinking, now what? Now what do we do? They're bored. They're bored. And they so don't I, have a mission yeah. beyond we raised the kids. That was our mission. Yes. It was yeah. totally inward focused and they really are bored. They're like, well, okay, I guess we're done. We've really sensed that. And, you know, it's interesting. When we first got married 41 years ago, six months in, Anne said to me, marrying you is the biggest mistake of my life. I remember you that. You know, that passage. was part of that, part of our early <laughs> stuff in our vertical marriage book. But, we didn't even realize what happened is we go to our first ministry. We were on staff with Athletes in Action, the University of Nebraska, and the chaplain of the sports teams. 
the first guy I met on the football team who was a believer was married. He's a senior married. He says to me, hey, there's several guys on the team that are married. Could you and Ann lead a marriage Bible study? I looked at him because he didn't know the backstory that my wife has just said to me, <laughs> I don't want to be married to you. I just looked at him like, what? A marriage Bible study? You want us to run? He goes, yeah, could you guys do that? And I'm thinking, we're the last couple you want leading this thing because we're not doing well. But what did I say? Yeah, we'll yes. do it. And so Ann and I lead this marriage Bible study, and we didn't realize it at the moment what happened. Mission. Yeah, we knew together. God had given us a mission. And I don't know if any of their marriages got better. Ours, <laughs> ours was did. sort of saved. <laughs> when you said that, Gary, I'm like, that was year one, and we've been doing it ever since. But that outward focus to do what God's called us to do, seek first the kingdom, literally transformed us. And you're saying that's one of the keys or the ingredients to a lifelong? Absolutely, because God's kingdom never ends, and there's always new exciting things to go forward. The work is never done, and so you have a reason to get out of bed. And so I would just say to the couples listening, maybe you're that business couple. One of you is a business person. The other, How do you say, okay, here's the community. How do we help them understand that life isn't just about making money? It's about making disciples. It's about worshiping God, not, not mammon, so to speak. So husband and wife are working together. How do we use this vocation? to build God's kingdom. Maybe you're the sports couple and one of you is a coach or something. Say It's not just about winning games. It's about worshiping God. Or you're the musical couple. It's not just about making music. It's about celebrating the creator of music or the arts community. Whatever gifts or influence or natural affinity you have as a couple, instead of just saying, what do we want out of this day? Saying, how can God take us, this unique couple, unique gift, a unique platform, and use it to start building God's kingdom instead of our own, life is different. Again, we want to get away from this single for God and married for ourselves, and we should get married for God. What if your spouse isn't cooperating? Like, I'm not into this mission. Yeah, maybe they're not even a believer. Yeah. Can we do that alone, or do we just kind of make do? Well, part of your mission that keeps you there, according to Paul, is to represent God and to model a Christ-like spirit, hoping to bring them into the kingdom. So you do have a solo mission, and and that's that's a sad reality. I mean, that, that happens somewhat. But I think your mission before God is still what gives you commitment to your marriage, even if your spouse doesn't share it. I'm not pretending it's the same. It's not. There's going to be a loneliness there. But Paul does say, but here's why I want you to hang in there, because maybe your example and your faith will lead that person to the Lord. But I still think there's a power in it, too. Even if your spouse isn't a believer, to have that conversation of saying, I just see the gifts that you have are pretty magnificent. And I'm wondering to have this conversation, I'm wondering what it would look like for us to be a team together, to impact our world together, to make a positive influence together. Like, what are we passionate about? What are we good at? I think those are just fun conversations to have, too. And if your spouse isn't a believer, they still have gifts. They still have passions. They still have strengths. And how could you pair those then with your strengths and your love for God? So we've talked about the first part of this obsession, the kingdom of God. What's the other part? Well, seek first the king of God and his righteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus isn't talking about marriage, but it's amazing how practical it is with marriage. Because, again, as a pastor, most people come in, there's a character issue that's assaulting 
their marriage. And so if I'm seeking first his righteousness, I'm dying to the things that destroy most marriages. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. Those are all things listed in Colossians 3.8. And if I put on the righteousness of Christ, we could say Colossians 3.12, compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience, and love, those things build a marriage. So I'm rejecting the things that push a woman or a man away, and I'm building the things that make them want to be around me. And so by pursuing righteousness, I'm creating the kind of person that somebody actually wants to be around. So how do you (laughs) pursue put on righteousness? I think a lot of listeners are like, I want that. How do I access that? First step, I think, is humility to recognize that we have areas to grow. What I find is that we're so often hyper aware of where our spouse needs to grow and just blind (laughs) to where we do. If you're not humble, you don't think you need to grow. And, And let me just, if I could have a gentle challenge, if every time you have a conversation with your spouse, you think this situation will be fixed when you get your act together, when you stop doing this and you start doing that. It's the classic case of Jesus saying you've got a log in your eye trying to take the speck out of your brother's. James 3, 2 says we all stumble in many ways. So the Bible tells me I stumble in many ways and every person listening to this broadcast stumbles in many ways. If you're not aware of how you stumble, that parable of Jesus was written and said uh, just for you. So in humility, recognize, okay, uh, what errors? And then, then to accept it. You know, I had a, a funny, ep- well, it wasn't a funny episode. It was kind of sad. Right after 9-11, this is going back when people started traveling again. You know, they shut down the airports for right. days. It was just different. And then in the early days of TSA, I mean, it was practically a strip search. And there were long lines at the airport. And it's one thing when you're traveling for vacation in the summer. But you guys do this, too. When you're traveling every weekend just about... I just am being hassled and my bags are being torn apart. I'm being delayed. I was just getting a surly spirit. It just was not honoring to God. I'm just, I get through. And so one of the first times Lisa started traveling with me, we get through TSA (laughs) and she says, Gary, this isn't you. Like what? Well, you're impatient. You're cynical. You're being negative and critical. I mean, that's just not who you are. And I, she was being my mirror. Mm. And I realized I wasn't there to represent Jesus. I wasn't praying, God, is there someone I can encourage in the line? It was just, just get me through here. I just want to get done. Stop bugging me. Don't hassle me. And instead of being defensive, I could say, wow, okay, thank you. What you're saying is true. That's not who I want to be. I want to represent Jesus everywhere I am, not just (laughs) except in the TSA line. And so it's just trying to take a step back when your spouse says that, because what the magnificent obsession also represents, Lisa isn't just my wife. She's my sister in Christ. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She has the wisdom of God's word as my sister. She can encourage me. She can challenge me. She can even confront me at times. Because our our relationship as brother and sister in Christ is eternal in a way that our marriage isn't. Now, my wife hates it when I say that. She goes, we have to be married in heaven. I'm just going by what Jesus says. (laughs) My wife says the same thing, and I'm hoping in some aspect it is. But when you wrote about how you were praying and you felt like God told you, at least as your sister, I don't know how powerful it was 
for you, but when mm-hmm. I read yeah, it, I, it felt like this powerful moment for you. Yeah. But, well, it's really the third element of the magnificent where it's about worship, where, yeah, I was not being the best of husbands. And it's mm-hmm. probably being charitable. And I was praying and God challenged me, Gary, Lisa isn't just your wife. She's my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I expect you to treat her accordingly. Mm-hmm. And he's just applying First John 3, 1, behold, how great a love God has given us. We should be called the children of God. And I claim that as a single man. That's my identity. I'm God's son. And for God to say, yeah, and Lisa's my daughter. And suddenly everything was, especially when I got kids. Because mm-hmm. if you want to get on my good side, it's easy. Be good to one of my kids. Yeah. Uh, praise <laughs> them. Make them laugh. Be a true and loyal friend. And I love you. If you want to get on my bad side, be mean to one of my kids. You know, shame them, make them cry, make them feel like dirt. My blood pressure will go up if I even hear your name because hmm. I'd much rather you mess with me than one of my kids. And when I realize that my wife is God's daughter, she's my sister in Christ, and that God feels about my wife just as I feel about my own daughters with a holy and pure passion Everything about my marriage changed. Wow. Yeah, and one of the things I took me years, I think, to understand is what you're talking about is your wife or your spouse can be your mirror. In some ways, I think God gives uh, a spouse to us to sharpen us to become like Christ. And so they see things, they say things. I used to hate it when Anne would call out something, almost like your example with TSA, where I wasn't representing the righteousness of Christ, I would get resentful and I started to realize, no, that's a gift from God. He wants me to become like his son and my wife is the gift, the greatest gift, because she sees everything. And so how do we respond when our wife or our husband calls something out that is hard for us to hear? How do we respond? Because we want to be like Christ, but we're often not living that way. A life-changing reorientation for me, Dave, with this was recognizing who's my hero. If Jesus is my hero, I want to live every day for people to worship him, to acknowledge him, submit to him, and celebrate him. If I'm my hero and somebody says there's a chink in my armor, I would say my hair's out of place. People can't see me. You and I have the same show. We don't have any hairs out of place. much out. Then I'm going to take offense. But if Jesus is my hero and somebody says, you're not reflecting Jesus perfectly, here's a way you can do it more. It's sort of like a coach giving you a tip. You know, you're holding the golf club too tight. Loosen up your grip and you're going to have a better swing. Okay. If this helps me make Jesus look better to the world, then I want to stop having this surly attitude or this critical attitude or this arrogant attitude. The problem is for most of us, we're our own heroes. And and Jesus Mm. sets us free from that. It really does set you free when you realize, okay, it's not based on my righteousness. It's his. So I can admit I've got some real weaknesses, but Jesus has taken care of them. And I don't want to argue about me. Let's worship him. Let's talk about how great he is, not how bad I am. And so I don't have to defend myself. I just repoint people back to him. So if you live by the magnificent obsession... That is your obsession. Look at the glory of God, the wonder of his plan, the beauty of who he is. And so marriage comes about serving him together, becoming more like him together, and worshiping him together. As I hear that term, I love it. Like the magnificent obsession with God. And I think back to all the times that we've struggled in our relationship and marriage. It's when I've taken my eyes off of that magnificent obsession of God. And what I've done, and I'm just going to confess, and I've said this before, but I started looking at Dave 
trying to get him to meet my needs, for him to become my obsession. Hmm. But what I was doing was I was seeing all the faults, all the ways that he was not living up to my expectations or what I felt like God was calling him to do. And really what I started doing is putting my eyes on myself Mm -hmm. and the needs that weren't being met. And I really think we can do this in a marriage. And so to ask that question today, where is your obsession? Is it with God? Is it with your eyes on him that he is your magnificent obsession? I think that's a good question that we need to ask on a regular basis. to thank David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you want to learn how to use marriage to transform your community? Consider joining with us to help build marriage ministry movements where lives are transformed through the gospel. For more information or to get started today, email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website under helping couples at families.powertochange.org.au We hope you can join us tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today. Today.